Good evening, John. Hi, Rob. How are you? I am to keep it. You've been at home today? My headphones are working properly today, which is nice. Uh, I have been at home today. I've had half a week of freelancing, and then they ran out of work for me. Uh, And we've kind of been waiting on a client to come back with uh, feedback and amends and information. So I've uh, I've had a couple of days at home, which has been nice. Give me the opportunity to catch up on a few bits and pieces. Yeah. About you? You been a busy boy today? Um, I've I've been I think at a normal rate, uh, which to me feels like I'm um, slacking. Yeah, being an absolute slacker. (laughs) But uh, this week I've I haven't had I haven't got any projects on. I've just got lots of client work coming in and out. Um, like flotsam and jetsam, <laughs> you know, just day-to-day things. So uh, nothing exciting, but it's kept me busy every day. Welcome to North v South, the podcast that is and isn't about design. This is episode 45 and we are a year old officially. And wow. um, uh, on the other end of the line is Rob Turpin, Baby. illustrator, bon viveur, gadabout... <laughs> <laughs> uh, if only. And all round decent chap. And you're John Elliman. Did you get that bit in? Oh, yeah, that's me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was a bit of a gadabout uh, this week. I went out last night for some drinks in uh, London Town with some of our mutual internet friends, which is very nice to catch up. Uh, found myself um, in Euston, a, a pub there. But I, I almost failed to get to the pub because I couldn't find my way out of Euston Station. <laughs> so um, I came up onto the concourse from the underground and literally saw no signs for exits oh. at all. Um, and it was mildly bewildering. <laughs> so they need to address their wayfinding. So I'm just pouring a beer. Oh, well, what have you got? I've got a good old boy uh, from the West Berkshire Brewery. It's a traditional English bitter. Very nice. Well, I'll tell you in a second. Have you, have you got a, a beverage this evening? No, no, I haven't, no. I might have to slope off and get a glass of wine. I think it'd be rude not to. Uh, no, I've been, yeah, this week, yeah, just um, doing lots of planning, um, playing around with uh, this new uh, tool that we're now using, um, uh, Dropbox Paper. It's good, isn't it? Which I really want to talk about because um, I've really, I've, I'm using it in lots of ways already. Um, and it's just the perfect product. I, I, I can't believe it's appeared because I've been looking for something like it. Uh, and I know it sounds really, really small, tiny thing, but it's a really important part of my process is to have we, somewhere where I can log things. Yeah, you always get a lot more out of these sort of things than I do, I think, because you work in a very different way to me. So can you explain why it's better than, say, Apple Notes or more useful than Basecamp or whatever? Well, Basecamp is great, but it's incredibly expensive. And um, I mean, it's like it's twenty nine dollars a month, which is nearly 30 quid a month now, uh, which is more than I pay for my accountancy. Um, So it's too much. And uh, the new version of it is too complicated and too, um, too focused on teams. I just want Mm -hmm. literally I just have one piece of paper with a long list on it. Um, But what's great about paper is that it's just a simple like a tool like word or um you know word processor but you can put data bits into it so for example if you want to put a deadline on something uh you can just add a date to it and it will then uh if you tie up with reminders it will then remind you of when that task needs to be done Mm. um it passes things so if you paste in a uh, a link to a video, it will just pull the video straight into the page. Um, you can then save that. You can share that entire page as a presentation now. They've just introduced that. So you oh, can wow. send that link to a client um, and it will be like a little PowerPoint presentation. Um, it understands a language called Markdown, which was, um, I think it was developed by, uh, no, uh, by Gruber. Um, yeah. I think it was. Uh, which is a, it's a really, it's, it's like a, um, an interpretive language, uh, that turns things into HTML. Okay. So for example, you can use, uh, hashtags to denote a heading. So if you use one hashtag and a space and then write 
a word, it will do an H1, uh, two hashtags, an H2, et cetera, uh-huh. et cetera. And it will automatically format to that. So if you then copy and paste that copy out into something like Perch, a content management system, that will yep. pass that into HTML automatically and render it properly Clever. rendered. So it, it makes it really, you know, great for uh, creating copy for websites. So yeah, um, I know I'm going off on one here, but um, yeah, uh-huh. initial uh, report back. It's really, really just perfect. You can then add comments, so you can click on the right of the page and yeah. add comments. Um, so using it as a collaborative tool for making a website copy, whatever. Um, really good, and um, and obviously notes for uh, North v South is fitted straight in, isn't it? Really. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, so uh, yeah, really recommend you use it if you if you're already paying for uh, uh, Dropbox storage, um, then it's a no brainer, mm. a, a non brainer, as somebody in my office used to say. Other than that, I've been. I don't think I've been doing anything. Uh, trying to focus <laughs> <laughs> on just bitty bits, but um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm planning on on my new print website. Yeah. Exciting. Uh, I've spent a bit of uh, the last couple of days getting together some some work for that print website for for you to print on my behalf. So I'm reworking a couple of illustrations and kind of tweaking some uh, some existing ones. Uh, and I finished off a series of commissions this week as well. So that's all my commissions out of the way at the minute. So I've nothing else on, which is quite a nice feeling. Although it's great to do commissions and have you know little bits of money coming in here and there it's quite nice just to have a little break and think right i can just do stuff for me you know for a week or two uh, which is nice um uh, the other thing i have done this week i've done a couple of live instagram videos which i hadn't um done before i think the live feature got rolled out uh, bit by bit to users and i got it a few weeks ago but haven't used it so i did a couple of live sketching uh almost like a performance so uh, how, how does that work because uh, I, I didn't even know it existed so i'm <clears> guessing just, that's a bit like a periscope thing it's exactly like that um people can like it uh, when people are viewing it they can like it and you know hearts fly up the screen or whatever um I and mean, people can comment on it um so it's quite it's quite a nice way. I've been using it when I've done kind of little warm-up sketches on a morning the last couple of days um, before I've kind of got into the nitty-gritty of commissions and things, um, just drawing sort of spaceships and mechs and stuff. Um, so nothing that really requires too much thought on my part. Um, it's quite a weird sensation drawing something, knowing people are, are watching. Um, and obviously you can kind of out of the corner of my eye kind of could see comments and things when I did it yesterday. So today I, I kind of positioned the phone a bit differently so I could actually reply to people as I was drawing, which was entirely to the detriment of my drawing, which was rubbish today. Um, which is the other thing that's, you know, if you're posting something on Instagram, you can carefully select your favorite drawings or things that you think are good. But if you're doing it live, People can see all the rubbish bits that never make it. <laughs> but it's fun. Um, got a couple of hundred people watching, I think, at one point. So wow. it's quite it's quite it's quite exciting. Um so I did that, so I'll do some more of that. Um the only weird thing is there's no option to it's like Snapchat, there's no option to save that video anywhere. Um which is a bit of a shame because it would be nice for me to watch it, uh, so I could see the comments. Because you can't really watch them as you're doing it. Yeah, it should be it should be an option to just uh, even if it was to save it locally. Uh, the other thing I did this week, while I quite often watch films while I'm drawing, quite often something um, that I don't really have to think about. But this week I watched Burn Tomahawk, um, which is really uh, it's a it's a gritty frontier western with a an element of horror about it. I guess really. Um, a sheriff and a couple of other people go off in search of um, this clan of cannibals who've kidnapped some people um, and it's part just kind of normal gritty western and part really gory kind of shocking horror 
Um, as it's kind of one of those things that's it's a bit disturbing because the the kind of villain characters are these um, kind of caricatures of uh, Native American cannibals, which is a bit a bit unpleasant and distasteful. Really, it's you know they're not rounded characters; they're they're essentially monsters in it, which is a bit strange. But it's um, it's a really watchable film. Um, some great performances Jeff Bridges Patrick Wilson Jeff Bridges I don't mean Jeff Bridges I mean Kurt Russell um, but yeah it was, it's worth watching it doesn't make for um, kind of easy viewing in some parts but it's kind of stuck with me as well two days later and what channel was that on? Uh, it was on Netflix yeah Burn, Burn Tomahawk uh, so, uh, should we, uh, should we have a bit of news? Yeah, let's, t- um, it's weird last week, wasn't it? Um, going back to recording a show cause it's kind of been on and off for a month of not recording yeah, anything. It's sporadic. What was really nice was, uh, people's comments during the last week. Um, you know, drips and drabs, but really nice to hear people are pleased that it's back. And, uh, and it reminded me how much I enjoyed, uh, last year. So um, uh, this year, uh, well, this week, I am uh, woefully unprepared. (laughs) I think we both are a little. I think I suggested a topic and we found it quite hard to to research sort of off the cuff. Um, But we'll we'll get around to that. I think think it's one of those, you know, when um, when you're at school and, uh, you know, suddenly an essay got put back a week because um, we moved it from yesterday to today uh, yeah. and uh, you think oh I've got a whole other week to uh, to prepare in that um, I thought oh I've got a whole other day and then um, I got to about half six yeah <laughs> and uh, panicked madly but I have got a lot of news that uh, sort <clears throat> of spilled over from the last few weeks well you can start then oh can I yes you can <laughs> my first one is uh, the sun the newspaper what mm. a jolly, lovely newspaper that is. Isn't um, it? Yes. Perfectly, perfect size to wipe your ass with. Um, Sir David Hockney, uh, of whom we were speaking last week in glowing terms, um, yeah. has created a, very strange this, created a, a mast, the masthead for the sun on, when was it? The February the 3rd. So last Friday. Um and uh, the sun had put underneath it free Hockney for every reader, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, some some things about the sun make me laugh, but um, it's it's a bizarre one, isn't it? Because it came to me through Creative Review, um, you know, a, li- a liberal uh, uh, publication, if ever there was one. Yeah. Um, but they reported on it in quite a quite an open minded way of uh, saying, you know, is this hypocrisy or is it a clever way for art to read? reach a wider audience was to to quote their tweet or maybe both is what they were saying so um i was wondered if you'd seen it and what your thoughts were <clears throat> yeah well uh, the creative reviews kind of criticism was you know the sun has has repeatedly attacked kind of the arts and uh homosexuality and and regularly outed people or called people for you know lifestyle choices and things and here it is you know, working in conjunction with a homosexual artist. Um, and you think, well, does any of that matter? He's, it's a, he's obviously doing it as a business decision for them to plug his exhibition that's coming up and his new work. Um, maybe that's, that, that's all it is. But then you kind of wonder, is the kind of octogenarian David Hockney so distanced from you know kind of regular life in this country he doesn't perhaps realize how in what regard the sun is held these days by <clears throat> certain parts of society or i don't know it's a very strange thing it reminds the the logo actually reminds me of the um partick thistle football mascot that david shrigley did do you remember that? No. It's like a bright, uh, like a bright sun figure with a slightly horrific face on it, um, and it's 
crazy and he designed the logo and they turned it into a mascot for the club and i think it's it's well loved by the club now but when it was launched it was a, a just a bizarre um thing really and this this kind of falls into that category i think um i mean we've got to say that the you know the reworking of the sun logo that hockney has done it looks like a, a chimp has done it on Microsoft Paint. <laughs> I, I mean, mean you can read no you can read so much it. into it, can't you? Yeah. Uh, uh, someone on uh, Twitter uh, at Zubair London has said, uh, "Is quote you know the Sun? Yo, David, we need a logo and quick turnaround by tomorrow. Is that okay, David Hockney? No worries, mate. I got you." <laughs> Yeah, and that's how I exactly. respond to some of my clients. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe we're doing Hockney a complete disservice. You know, maybe he's the one taking them for a ride. Mm. I don't know. It's it, it's a really interesting story about why he feels that he needs to do that, or yeah. what his motivation was. Yeah, um, I because mean, would not... they don't they don't mention in the article anything about his sexuality or mm. uh, how he feel, and uh, you know, and it's filled with quotes of things like you know, oh, you know, obviously the arty lot wouldn't appreciate this, and it it still does yeah. it still does a disservice to the artistic community. So it's not like he's raising the profile of art, is it? He's merely lowering his own yeah. art down to their level because yeah, like you say, it looks like it's been drawn with a soft brush in on an iPad, which I'm, it, he does work on an iPad. He does. He? Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's awful. And whether he is making a statement, I don't know, but why, why bother? Yeah. Um, but his, his exhibition has had rave reviews. Yes. It's the, the fastest selling exhibition at the, is it the Royal Academy? Right. I don't, I don't know. Wherever it is, it's the, it's the fastest selling exhibition they've ever had. I think. Fantastic. Um, well, sticking with art, a little snippet of news that we've both got in our lists, actually, is the Metropolitan Museum of Art have placed 375,000 of their uh, pieces of their collection online for unrestricted use, including commercial commercial usage, which is uh, incredible. I, you know, I think um, galleries have done this before with kind of Creative Commons stuff, but, you know, it's for personal use only but for this to be to include commercial usage is sort of a bit staggering i thought um and you know a wonderful thing it's a real mix of stuff that they've put up so there's there's stuff by kind of known artists and people completely unknown to me and then there's you know mesopotamian art and sculpture and all sorts of stuff so it's uh it's a real treasure trove of of art for you to have a, a good gander at. Uh, 375,000 pieces will take you a while to get through. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's, I mean, I had a look at it thinking, oh, oh my goodness, what they put all the high res tra- transparencies. They're not, they're, they are thumb, little thumbnails. But Is that all they are? Do they not? From what I can see, and I've had a look, um, you can create a link or share it or print it. Um, but okay. they are they are tiny. Uh, let me just measure. So it's it going to be more useful for people to kind of use blogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess you can link to it. I don't know whether they allow hot linking or whatever. But no one's going to be using it in a billboard. No, well, I've used it. No, it's five nine five pixels. Uh, yeah, so six hundred pixels is 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 its native size of the, okay. of the width. But it's the database, isn't it? And it's whether mm. how, how much of that database you can use in your own. Uh, on your research or, you know, uh, whether you can use them as inspiration for, for producing art. I, d- I don't know. Yeah. How, how does that open? How, what, I guess it's, you know, if, well, if, if, you've got a, if you've got a piece of art by uh, say Willem de Kooning and they're saying that you've got absolutely all the rights to it, then what does that mean? What you can now, mm. I don't know because there are rights and reproduction notes on there of, of copyright. So I'm guessing that that is tied to whoever owns the piece of art. Um, I don't quite understand that bit of the news, you know, yeah. the fact that it's free to use. But as a, as a piece of research, a research tool, it's it's immense, isn't it? I mean, it's mm. just immense. Um, and they've got some brilliant book sort of colophon or inside page, yeah. book, um, which I love that kind of stuff. <clears throat> um. Yeah. So yeah. No, I think that's great. It's good. Good to see 
stuff free on the web. Isn't it just? Yeah. What you got next? Well, my my one was a follow-on from the right-wing newspaper. Um, it's a, sort of speaking of right-wing rags. Um, it was good to see <coughs> Wikipedia banning the Daily Mail as an unreliable yeah. source today. Uh, they haven't even banned any of the Russian government-backed <laughs> rags. So you can take it that the Daily Mail is a British newspaper that is has stooped so low. Um, Pravda's fine, but the Daily Mail. <laughs> well, I think um, I think it's it's. Essentially, the online edition is just, yeah. uh, you know, um, a, a human cesspit. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure the the print version still uses, although it uses it in a completely erroneous way, um, but it uses proper journalism, mm. uh, proper methods of gathering news. But I think it's the online version that is really, really poor. Um, and they've just said that enough's enough. Um and there was a really good interchange between, oh, I'm noted down who it was, but it was one of their columnists and um, Jimmy Whale of Wikipedia yeah. as to why they had, uh, why they decided to cut them off. Um, and he was pretty, uh, pretty brutal. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite something, isn't it? Getting banned by Wikipedia for being unreliable, because I think in the past that's not necessarily been seen as the most reliable source for information. Yeah. it's. Um, I mean, for kind of different reasons, but. I'm, I, I love Wikipedia. One of the greatest inventions, I think, of the last however many years. Yeah, well, I mean, I love encyclopedias. When I was um, at university, if I wanted to waste an afternoon, it was just pick up a massive encyclopedia in the library and, uh, yeah. and away you go. I just flick through it and you just kind of find where it takes you, don't you? Yeah, I, just, I remember spending an entire afternoon learning about American football. About the history of American football. As much of that stayed with you? Uh, yeah. And it led me to some weird part of the photography um, department looking at photos of uh, there was a there was a habit in uh, Americano um, sort of mid 19th century America of casket photography. Um, right. So um, children and family members being photographed as if they were alive. In the, mm. in the sort of Midwest, um, yeah, a bit like the catacombs that I've spoken about in Sicily, where they ke- mm. keep keep the bodies all dressed up in their Sunday best. Um, so how I got there from American football, I don't know, but uh, it was better than doing a degree in uh, in medieval <laughs> literature. <laughs> but that was before the internet. But it still did the same kind of thing of just yeah, yeah rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, well, sticking with news, actually. News about news. Uh, I, I don't know where I came across this. There's the Good News Network, which sounds very much like a religious website. Yeah, I've never um, heard of this. Is this a new thing? Or I, is it- I think it might be reasonably new. Um, I don't know. But it's it's a, a news site, like an aggregator site. And it's just full of articles of, of those kind of uplifting bits that you'll kind of get one of in a newspaper or one of on a, a news site. Uh, that you often see floating around on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and I think it's quite a nice antidote to everything else that's going on in the news at the moment to be able to dip into this maybe once a day and just have a little a little look and cheer yourself up. So I think on there at the minute they've got beachgoers helping a stranded manta ray, um, a mother and baby survive a tornado, uh, supermarket gives surplus sugar to hungry honeybees. I think that's in uh, the UK, isn't it? I think it's is it Sainsbury's giving away sugar that's been spilt um, on factory floors to Cornish honeybees, I think, uh, because there's a there's obviously a lack of nectar during the winter. Um, yeah, and I and it is uh, it is exactly what it says it is. It's a Good News Network, just something to take the edge off the despair. <laughs> <laughs> at the minute i mean there's a baby anteater on there oh well, yeah. you know you can't go wrong with a baby anteater can you, you? can't you can't can you <clears throat> well if we're talking about the morass of humanity my favorite morass of humanity is twitter um i've seen their quarterly loss is now 167 million dollars um they've got so many people working for them who have share options that they have to pay share pay share options to that it's driving their meager profit into a loss um 
uh, they're in such a situation um, that not even the uh, the the biggest buffoon that's ever appeared in my lifetime uh, on historical stage uh, using it as a as a megaphone. He even he hasn't managed to uh, to turn it around. So um, uh, as I said, I called for last week. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I'm a, a fan of Twitter, but. Um... But it is astounding the the mess they are in as a business. Um, I mean, maybe it's just one of those things that's never really going to be uh, a money maker. You know, I don't know. Is it? It's, you can't charge people for it now. Advertising on it is obviously problematic. Maybe they're just not doing it right. You know, Facebook don't seem to have any problems making money from advertising, do they? Uh, no, they're miles ahead. Yeah. Mile, miles and miles and miles ahead. Yeah. But yes, I think they were asked, weren't they, if uh, Trump, there was going to be a Trump effect of pushing uh, user numbers. Um, and that didn't happen. I think their user numbers went up by 1% <laughs> over the last quarter, which is <clears throat> pretty poor. There's been some uh, political posters going up over London. Uh, I don't know how widely uh, distributed they they were because looking deeper into this article, um, as ever, they they they're basically uh, whether they have basically there's some uh, posters that have appeared on bus stops uh, saying "Become a suicide bomber." Have you read this one? Um, it was in the Telegraph, and it's produced by an artist called Darren Cullen, who uh, his organization, subversive organization, is called Special Patrol Group. They're a design organization uh, mixed up with Banksy and his Dismaland uh, okay. exhibition, um, and it's it's an anti Royal Navy poster and he said that it's appeared all across london and my my only uh concern is that it only appeared at one bus stop on the uh, on london bridge uh yeah. right by hms belfast but um tower want, bridge tower bridge london bridge what am i talking about um but it's good to see a little bit of um poster terrorism i'm not sure whether that's a, a right thing but um it's interesting to see designers uh, angry designs appearing in the capital yeah, absolutely. Uh, other they other things they could do is use a Samson um, Note Seven, a Galaxy Note that have been setting fire to the factories. Now, did you see this? <laughs> I did. That's ironic, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the batteries that they've been sidelining because they've been setting fire to planes and things. Uh, they've set fire to the factory. <laughs> You couldn't make that up, could you, really? Amazing. So when technology goes wrong, it it does go really wrong, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. Uh, My last bit of news this week is uh, Form 55, which is a design showcase blog, which has been around for a while, and it's just had a little revamp, and it's just very nicely put together, I thought. Um, There's always some really good stuff. It's kind of... Uh, curated by a bunch of people um, who who's on there Luke Tong uh, Guy Morehouse these are the people that I kind of recognise from Twitter uh, Sean Reese, Loz Ives um, yeah and there's some really lovely um, design on there product design, type, book design wow um, that's a motion big, graphics. big aeroplane uh, yes, it is. Um, what 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 what's it about though? This site. What, what is it? It's, it's nothing. It's a, a showcase of good design. A right. little bit like uh, Mike Sullivan's Type Token. You know, is uh, kind of a showcase showcase of typographic stuff. Um, and you can you know you can kind of click on different categories. So there's a but it's a curated. Section. Yes. Uh, I like that. It's a, it's a, a nice place to go for a bit of inspiration and see what is. Uh, what's kind of new. So have a look at the Form 55 website, form55.com, for a bit of inspiration. My last bit, uh, probably, of news, I mean, I could go on forever, is is really fascinating. It was, I was having, uh, I went for lunch with a friend of mine in the village, 
yesterday. Uh, he is a cardboard engineer, so he makes. Um, he doesn't go out in the rain. No, definitely, it's not waterproof. But he makes things like pop-up books and boxes and all sorts hmm. of amazing packaging. He's he's got like weirdly a, fascinating. Yeah, he's got a a sort of a cardboard cutting device, a flatbed thing in his uh, in his shed in his garden, and yeah. um, he develops all sorts of things for people all over the world. But um, he was talking about uh, we were talking about printers locally and who you use and all that kind of stuff and he we were talking about the indigo digital printer which is kind of revolutionary in the early 90s i think the indigo came out Mm. um, and was eventually bought by hewlett-packard and it's a printer now that is you know um i don't know whether they do a b to press for it but it's an it's an a uh, an sr a3 plus device um so uh you can print digitally onto it but you can print onto a a wide range of uh, materials like um gf smith color plan and pop Mm -hmm. art and all those kind of things um but you can um you can print with whites and all sorts of special um materials it's a fantastic digital printer um and we're getting to the stage now where digital presses um david was telling me that uh and one of the newest digital presses is now um almost seamless with uh um litho yeah. and it's a b1 uh, digital press but it's a million quid oh yeah but there's a Blimey. chap there's a chap called benny lander and he invented the indigo press um he is a an engineer um, and when he sold Indigo to HP, um, he obviously was uh, given a lovely golden handshake and became a multi multi millionaire. Yeah. Um, but he was, you know, he obviously did that deal as as often happens is that he wasn't allowed to work in the inkjet, uh, or not inkjet, the digital yeah. print uh, environment anymore. So he went off and he's with his millions set up a research lab in Israel and started messing around with nanotechnology. As we all do. Yeah. And it's found that, uh, I I didn't know anything about this, but when you reduce uh, certain molecules down to the nano level, so you you, you basically break them down, so um, they take on new um, properties. And okay. he, was mess- he was trying to do things like uh, converting. It's a bit like uh, um, when we were talking about um, Bernie, uh, what's his face, trying to... Uh, Clifton, Eccleston. Put- Bernie, Bernie Clifton, <laughs> Bernie Clifton, <laughs> Michael Bentine, his dad right. trying to re- extract um, ghosts out of walls. Yes. Do you remember talking about that? I, I do. Yeah. So <laughs> Bernie Clifton <laughs> trying to extract emus out of uh, under, <laughs> lederhosen. No. He, uh, so he was trying to. Oh, sorry, my so, eyes just arrived. Carry oh. on. So he was trying to capture environmental heat from the air and convert it into electricity. Um, by using nanotechnology but what he he obviously didn't succeed in doing that so he then started looking at ink again and he's found out that uh, pigment ink changes property it becomes brighter and absorbs more light because you've got a larger surface area it's a bit like a crinkle cut chip um, that cooks quicker and is more efficient so he he, uh, he's now invented something called uh, nano printing uh, and he's back in the printing game and it's called, well, he's called it nanography, but it's just, uh, you know, endlessly fascinating. He's found, so basically he can now print onto any material whatsoever without any treatment. Uh, and it's a dry printing process. So it's um, it's a transfer process. So there's no drying time or anything like that. So he can print straight onto carton uh, cartons, um, any, you know, metals. Yeah. Um, and they can also, because the molecules are so small, they can take metal and turn it into the ink as well. So foiling, um, something that, you know, you'd have to make um, dyes and send them off for a second process will be yeah. done on the printer because you'll be able to print metallic, like literally silver, gold polish um, wow. straight onto materials. Um, so have a look out for nanography. Have you looked uh, on that website? Have you looked on the products page and clicked on one of the? I'm just looking at the Lander S10. Aren't they like a spaceship? They they, they look straight out of Star Trek. Yeah, it is astonishing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean they're not exactly desktops, are they? 
<laughs> you need a small hanger to put these in. But wow, they look slick. Yeah, well, he ha- he's gone up uh, straight up on size wise. He's straight onto B1 press size. Yeah, um, and 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 uh, and web fed um, press. So you print both sides. So newspapers, etc. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, nano nanotechnology is hit print. I just think yeah. it's so fascinating. Cool. But the uh, ability to put a cartridge of metal into your printer and print gold is yeah insane. Astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So check it out. Yeah. Well, last week or the week before, I think, well, a couple of times recently, we've mentioned kind of design for good. So we've talked about IKEA's award-winning refugee shelter. Um, We talked about the award-winning paper kind of concertina bicycle helmet that folds up. Um, You've also put a note of Bayless's wind-up radio as well. Uh, Yeah, and we've talked about the Pilkera pub and who are the people that won the Turner Prize? I can't remember their names, but they were kind of a community-led arts and architecture company, weren't they? Yeah. Um, So Design for Good. And I'd seen something this week um, which I really, really liked, and it kind of ties into something I've worked in uh, in the past. So I thought we should maybe talk a little bit about Design for Good, um, maybe kind of what it means as a designer to do something that's not just about selling a product um, that's perhaps got a little more heart to it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. I think we both found it a little trickier to research than we thought I certainly did. Um, it's There isn't a kind of an instant go-to place to kind of look for, for stuff, whether it's... Uh, because I th- I, we're not really w- talking, you know, about kind of branding for charities or, you know, non-profit companies. It's kind of more, it's a little bit more than that. So it's a little tricky um, looking for stuff. Well, let's define, I think that's uh, that's an interesting point in itself, a uh, discussion point in itself, isn't it? Of defining what design for good is. Because hmm. um, there's certainly not only a semantic discussion to be had about what that means but also what is good and what's the perception of good um is that something that's uh philanthropy or is it something of uh giving back to the design community or is it going out into the real world and uh and using design or um art or um illustration to better um society Mm. Um, where 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 do you start with that kind of thing? What 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 what, what kicked us off into talking about this? By the way, the thing that I'd seen, uh, I follow um, an artist and designer on Instagram called Morag uh, Myerskoff. Oh yeah, I like her. Um, who does these incredibly vibrant geometric uh, installations and designs, and generally in a kind of architectural space or uh, kind of an event sort of setting. Um, and she had done some work recently for Sheffield Children's Hospital. And it had been done in conjunction with Artfelt, which is uh, the arts program funded by the Children's Hospital Charity. Um, so the Sheffield Children's Hospital has a new wing of 40-odd rooms, I think 46 rooms. Um and Artfelt worked with Morag Meiskov to <clears throat> effectively, I mean, it's it kind of calling it sort of interior design, it does it a disservice, but it's they work together to on on the kind of interior look of all the rooms and the wards. And so she came up with this incredibly beautiful, kind of vibrant palette of geometric shapes. Um, and it works in conjunction with the, the interior design and the architectural build of these wards. <clears throat> so that I think if you painted them all white, they'd still look very beautiful, nicely designed hospital wards. Um, but the, the thinking behind the, the kind of color and the shapes is, is this thing about uh, color and um, uh, kind of art 
lifting the the healing spirit i think of people in hospital and i think there's been lots of research done on this about how it can actually help the healing process if the environment is a positive one whether that's just through bright colors or it's um, kind of the way the patients are, are treated you know in a non-medical sense um and it's a really beautiful project and it wasn't just about making the the hospital wards you know bright and vibrant there's a particular um concepts for for rooms and wards that are going to be designed for people who have conditions like autism so they've got a much paler calmer palette um <clears throat> because you know they might be more sensitive to the brighter colors so it's it's not just slapping lots of bright paint everywhere it's a really thoughtful process um and the response um from patient groups and clinicians and hospital staff has just been incredibly positive and it's a they look beautiful i mean you, it's uh it takes away that kind of sterile austere feeling you get in in hospitals and uh, brings a bit of joy and life to them yeah they're gorgeous i, I haven't yeah. seen them um uh, I, I, yeah i think they're wonderful i bet i bet that was really really exciting to work on that design project because mm. i imagine everybody involved was positive about it you know yeah. and, and had positive things to feedback on the design for example yeah. the uh, specialists in um, autism would have been able to feedback on the color palette and all yeah. those kind of things so everything that coming back would have been i'm sure there was politics involved in it as well but Always. um yeah it just it, it just shows a, a positive outlook brings a positive result really doesn't it yeah because um, uh, if i was a kid and i'd gone to hospital in there at touchwood i didn't but um i would have been quite happy <laughs> yeah. it's really beautiful it's not patronizing or childish or anything it's just gorgeous and it and it and it looks like her work doesn't it it does absolutely um but this kind of struck a chord with me because uh, a few years ago i'd worked with the king's fund on a couple of their projects so they're a uh, medical charity my pies here sorry Rob. excellent that's okay you, so the king's under a, a medical charity that work uh, across britain oh i got a glass of wine oh nice uh and they had a couple of projects that i was involved in in a minor way they had a uh, enhancing the healing environment which was a project to um improve the kind of architectural and interior environment of for patients who are suffering from dementia, um, whether that's in hospitals or specialist dementia care homes or in certain cases, um, specialist hospices. Uh, um, and that a lot of that was about colour um, and it was about um, gardens as well, um, kind of trying to bring uh, the kind of natural environment into into a healing environment as well um but they do all sorts of things trying to tackle the kind of dementia side of things um so using kind of nostalgia as a, a real way to to help people remember um i remember one of the projects we worked on was um in a i can't remember if it was a care home or a hospital but they had um, garden sheds um and they fitted these garden sheds out like kind of proper old fellas garden sheds with, with kind of um, old bric-a-brac and things in there and music that they would have listened to. And these sort of things really help them uh, kind of work on being able to remember certain things and it, it jogs their memory. And, and it was a real great project to work on, but that covered everything from, you know, colour through to, you know, gardens and things. Um, so I think seeing the Morag Myerscough Sheffield Children's Hospital thing really reminded me of, of working with the King's Fund on that project. And that, I think everyone involved in that, although it was, like you say, the different kind of stakeholders always want to are saying these things. You know, everyone really has the, the, the best interests of the patients um, at the forefront of their minds. So it's a really positive project to to be involved in. I think that's one of the most rewarding things about this type of design. 
Yeah, I totally agree. How do you think um, designers who are freelancers or, you know, part of a studio, maybe you're a junior middleweight designer, how can you make a difference in your business or in the workplace um, if you want to give something back or you want to do something that is socially good? Um, how, how do you go about starting to do that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not that difficult if you're a, des- a small design agency or a freelance designer to to look for either local charities or hospitals or societies that that could benefit from a from design input um to get in touch with them and see if you can work with them is it i mean i think it's i'm i'm sure it's reasonably easy to make that first contact it's just something that we don't do as a rule no i think we're 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 strangely placed uh designers are in the terms of a lot of designers work for companies that they don't admire of what mm. they don't admire what they do and designers are generally liberal so that's why I'm, I, I think it, that's why it causes tension and why it causes guilt of wanting to go and do something uh, in the in the local community or uh, environmentally or whatever it is mm. but it's it's easy to get lost and easy to do the wrong thing and easy to try and justify the fact that you've done something and make it feel like it's um, a, a good deed when actually it's not. Um, but why should a designer be doing good? Well, <laughs> I really, I mean, no, we're not, we're not, we're not doctors or teachers or politicians. Um, no, but there's, there's no reason why that question shouldn't apply to anyone. Yeah, no, I, but um, it's just, what is it? We're designers, so we're we're going to look at that. But you know, everyone should question that, shouldn't they? Why shouldn't our industry do more good? Absolutely. Um, I just I just think it's an interesting uh, digression on the discussion. Uh, for example, you know, so you watch um, on TV. There's a program called DIY SOS, mm. and uh, they basically they there's a, um, a a story of a house that's um, perhaps not finished it's um uh you know it, it's it's in bad state because the family have fallen on bad times um something bad has happened and the local community gather around plumbers gardeners uh, you know plasterers whatever yeah and they fix the house and make it look great um and uh it, it's a very good program actually if you want a good weep um, yeah but uh that doesn't happen every day does it and it doesn't happen all the time um, but why do you think designers are more predisposed to that? Or is that even, that's not even a comment, is it really? Um, well, it no, just... I get what, you, I get what you, you're getting at. Um, but I think we're more aware of what we can do because we see, we see such a range of things, don't we? And we, we perhaps see things in a, a different way. We see things from a visual communication way and we see how that, you know those those skills we have it's easy to see how they can be be used to to help a good cause yeah my, but my my hefty uh, hoof of cynicism um plops down into the uh <laughs> the kind of thing of if you're a plumber you can directly influence you can you know immediately make an improvement to somebody's life you know um but as a designer it's not so easy is it uh you either have to do something big like the uh uh, you know, redesigning a children's ward or um, inventing a, a a shelter that can be put up very, very quickly. Mm. Doing something little is really, really tough. Um, I, we've tried to work for uh, charities in the past um, in the previous agency, and often they don't <laughs> they don't want your free stuff. They <laughs> that sounds really weird, doesn't it? But it's it's really hard to give away work. Um, it is. I think you need to enter into a some sort of a partnership with people, don't you? Yeah. You know, just saying, you know, have you got any brochures? We'll we'll happily design some stuff for free. It kind yeah. of takes people off guard, and you know, they've obviously got people in place to work on things. But I mean, I'm probably missing the point entirely. But I think you know, um, 
it often ends up in doing things within the industry. So going and teaching or giving free mentor mentoring or, you know, furthering the education of, of, fresh graduates or whatever that is um so it goes back into the design community but it's about how do you break out of that how could i you know how could a small tiny designer go and volunteer locally to do something using their skills what what would those skills bring to you know i don't know a local community in in any way it's it's a difficult one isn't it it is it is um but it's not one we should shirk i don't think um, no, I, think- I know, I know. I'm, I'm all for it. I, I'm really, I'm fascinated and, and really want to do something locally. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, not just from us talking about this, but um, you know, I just, I haven't made the connection as to what I can do. Yeah. Um, I think, I think you could, you know, you could do something as small as, like you talked about, uh, kind of teaching. You know, you could, you could take a community group and help them build a blog. You know, that would be a, a really small thing that would help them get their message out there. And it's very kind of design um, focused in that, you know, it's kind of what we do, uh, you know, creating a, a delivering a message. Um, but it could be quite a small thing that could have quite a transformative effect if, you know, some small charity or society has really been struggling to get their message out there. So that's one very simple thing off the top of my head. Yeah, that's a brilliant, brilliant point. But yeah, I think um, maybe that maybe we should put that on our list of, of um, personal projects for this year. Yeah, we should yeah. get out there and why not and do something. Yeah, yeah. let's find somewhere and do it as a uh, as a north v south reach out. Let's put yeah. our money where our mouth is. Let's do that. Uh, not that we got any money, but you yeah, know what I mean. But, well, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I kind of touched on is it's it's hard to it doesn't seem to be a a category of design kind of design for good. You know, there's things like branding for non profit. There's uh, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to to kind of go out. You know, if you want to look at if we wanted to talk about branding or book covers, you know, we could find up to date resources of new exciting stuff. Uh, you know, in five minutes, it's really difficult to to find kind of more. I don't know. I mean, what do we, is it designed for? Good? Is there a name for it? What we're talking about? No, I don't. Well, there's universal design, isn't there? Uh, which is an American-led design. Well, it's more architectural mm. of uh, creating things that are um, that think about uh, accessibility first or put right. people first in front of design. Um, and I know nothing about that. And that, that, that led into what's called design for all, which is a similar thing, Mm -hmm. similar movement. So there are, there are these movements out there. There was another, we did discuss a few months ago about a new movement in London that was trying to push this kind of, uh, welfare based design. I see there's a massive barrier in that to people like me. Um, in terms of time and mm-hmm. money in the fact that, you know, I've got a mortgage uh, and uh, a wife and a child and, yep. uh, and, you know, and I don't make a huge amount of money. So um, what are those sacrifices I'm prepared to make in my family life that I can then put into something else? Um, and that's probably says more about my, uh, <laughs> my crappy moral stance in life. No, I don't think so. Uh, I think it says more about your, um, your expectations of what you could try and achieve. Uh, you know, I think in your head, you've probably, you probably really want to do something quite amazing. If you're, if you're going to try and do something for good, whereas, you know, the reality is, as you say, you're a, you know, you're one designer with a family, you've got to earn your money. The amount of time that we could give over to this kind of thing is reasonably small. So we can't expect to do, you know, something you know huge on a national scale it would have to be like you say a a community-based thing or niche in terms of a kind of category of charity or community um and it, it is left to the to the big agencies to to put a percentage of their time and a 
couple of people into to doing the the bigger projects i think yeah i'd wrote, wrote the same thing in my very rapid notes that i banged out on the typewriter uh which was uh you know um you can take moral stances but life is way more complicated than uh, some kind of utopian dream of committing time to helping strangers and uh, how uh, what can we do that are small baby steps little things that make other lives better yeah um, and i think that's where we could all start from isn't it um, yeah where i could that start whole kind from of, you uh, could start from you know make a uh, 100 things 1% better isn't it right that's the uh, marginal gains uh, philosophy of sport um, so you don't look for one thing that you can change radically you look for a hundred things that you can change in a tiny way so so if we could get a hundred freelancers to do tiny little things yeah we're going to make a little splosh in the ocean absolutely um and i don't want to i'm not going to finish the talk on this but um one thing that it led me to i I'd, i saw the presentation about uh the battersea power station mm. um and we don't talk about architecture much, but um, did you see the video? Of, have you seen I the walkthrough or the designs? No, I haven't seen anything recently. Oh, my God. I kind of want to stay away from it because I know I'll be annoyed. If I say load of tosh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I What really upsets me more than anything is uh, I don't mind design and advertising agencies and, you know, selling... I don't know, kiddies toys or cigarettes or, you know, whatever, because that's the world and they sell rubbish. I might not buy it, but, um, mm. you know, it's going to be sold. But when it's design starts <clears throat> pretending to be to doing, pretending it's doing something for the greater good, when it's quite clearly selling, for example, expensive apartments yeah, or a product that, you know, that costs a lot of money, to make uh, has been uh, ramped up demand on Kickstarter and and then it's going to um, you know be sold in a million a quantity of a million plus and, yeah. and make a load of money for a design studio. Those aren't good things. They're just cool things that have been made. Um, and I think that uh, the Battersea Power Station development is one of those things. Um, there's a video that was released this week. Um, with the plan, the chief planner. I don't think he's the chief designer of it, but he's called Raphael Vinoli, uh, and it's just a it's just a standard three D walkthrough of the Vista. But it tries to make out that they are um, one not obscuring the um, the silhouette of the of Battersea Power Station mm -hmm. um, from the south, which they are completely obliterating that view. So you, you know, if you're if you're from the south, you won't see it at all. Yeah. Um, and there's a kind of like a thoroughfare um, uh, of of housing going through there. But they've also reduced ra um, dramatically the amount of affordable housing in there. And I was just looking; I was trying to find some of the affordable housing. Um, most of it's rental and the councils are going to give a little bit back from that, but it's not much. Um, and yeah. I hate to be a bleeding heart liberal here, but one bed flats start at 585. Yeah. And the two bedrooms start at 1.3 million. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things was they, they said that they're not going to have, um, they're not allowing um, high street chains to uh, to be along the thoroughfare, which mm -hmm. is going to be a little shopping centre there, they're just going to have a Danish pizzeria, an oyster bar, and a boutique gin distillery. <laughs> just like the high now, street. Oh, you I know, I, I mean, it was going off the rails enough. when it was talking about you know hiding the vista of Battersea Power Station, but you know yeah. when you get to Danish pizzeria, um, uh, yeah, it just makes me want to just get a large bulldozer and um, and take it back to how it was when I used to. Uh, do guys to vinyl up the police um, <laughs> in the in the yard at the back of uh, Battersea Power Station? Yeah, uh, was the police recovery uh, vehicles, right. and uh, that's where they used to take all the clamped vehicles. And we used to do the police vans at a weekend for extra money. <laughs> I used to grab, sit in that in that horrible car park there, which is now going to be um, a Danish pizzeria. Yeah, but that's where that's where doing good makes me angry. That when design or pretends to be pretends to be doing something yeah. for the greater good, um, <laughs> but I definitely don't want to end on that because uh, I know that 
design does a lot a lot of good uh, you know you, yeah. you 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 mentioned at the beginning and that was my my list of i think my favorite thing of all the things we've mentioned is the pill crow pub no, yeah it's not fantastic. because of its uh because it's touched on you know a, a wide amount of people like ikea the shelter has or mm-hmm. it's going to save lives like the paper bike helmet or it's transformed people's ability to communicate like the bayless wind up radio in africa but because it's a small community project made by a small amount of designers who've known their limitations, but yeah. also push their limitations and, um, and produce something that is just, is great. I mean, I haven't been there, um, but I, I've been on their website today, looking at it, seeing what they're doing. And um, I, I just, I wish them all the success. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's where I end on there. But um, my other, my other thing is, uh, is, is, is humor that, um it's especially illustration um uh the capacity for laughter is uh is a great healer it doesn't necessarily bring uh you know it doesn't make people better in terms of health or it doesn't make people richer or their lives better but i thought laughter was the best medicine oh yeah no penicillin is mate oh that's where i've been going after penicillin okay yeah. <laughs> no, uh, well, British, the British character is based on sardonic <clears throat> approach to life, isn't it? Mm. And uh, and so I think that some, you know, some of the British artists that are working now and that have worked in the past have responded in in laughter. So I think that another thing is, you know, yeah, it's producing humorous work. Yeah, wit is often lacking from design, I think, isn't it? Yeah, and or it's just not funny. Um, yeah. I was reading some things today that just weren't that just weren't funny. Yeah, I think design needs to cross into. I think I- illustration is is often far funnier, isn't it? I don't know whether that's yeah. a, um, d- designs. You know, the tie is is done up, and illustration. They've had a glass of wine and they've undone the tie and the top buttons undone. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> um, I don't know. Design doesn't laugh at itself much, does it? No, far too straight list. Humor is a good one. We should we should come back to humor in art and design. It would be quite an interesting topic. Definitely. Well, I mean, I, I wrote a you know a short list that I would say is, and they're they're a weird. It's a weird short list, but it would be Hogarth, Steve Bell, uh, Giles, because that's I used to sit watching yeah. uh, reading those books at my grandparents because it was all there was to do <laughs> during long boring Sunday lunches. Um, Stephen Collins of the Guardian and Tom Gold who is in the Guardian as well? He is, yeah. Uh, or The Observer, maybe. Uh, you know, yeah, fantastic. Love them. Um, and, you know, supremely British in terms of their outlook on life, would you say? Yeah, I think so. It's not very international, is it? No. Did you like well, Giles as a kid? Am I allowed to like that uh, as a Daily Express comic Yeah, strip? I think you're allowed. I, I was aware of it. I, I wouldn't have sought it out. Um, no, they were just yeah. the books. They were just um, books yeah. of my grandparents. Yeah. Should we do our website of the week? Shall we? We've got time. Well, you go first because I like yours. <laughs> well, um, uh, I, a, a really old friend of mine who's a teacher, an English teacher nowadays, um, and he got in touch with me quoting directly uh, from this uh, Twitter feed, and it's called Donald the Unready, or Unready, as they would have said. Uh, it's... um. Uh, well, I'll just I'll read his profile. It's the best medieval king out there. I'm the Brett Walder, the best Walder. I've got great swords. Everyone says so. Make Mercia great again. Great thoughts, all my own. And uh, yeah, it's just a long stream of uh, <laughs> of uh, old English uh, histories. Yeah. Well, that, the pinned tweet is great. Can you? What a loser! Can't even hold back the sea. It's just water. We're going to be so tough on the sea. Can you? Was too soft. Sad. <laughs> Yeah. Or East Saxons claim to be good sailors, moored their best <laughs> longboat at Sutton Hoo. Boats go on the sea, idiots. Radwald, <laughs> high and dry, and dead. Uh, so, yeah, that's at Donald Unready. Uh, my website of the week is uh, Daniel Bellingworth Gray's blog, um, which I don't, we've probably mentioned before, but he's, he's started updating it again uh, more regularly recently. I think he was uh, slightly more sporadic. Um, but uh, in particular, he's he's done a little uh, post on Chris Ware, who's an illustrator 
who does covers for the New Yorker magazine. And they're absolutely beautiful. And they're not just beautifully drawn, they're incredibly well kind of observed, you know, these kind of little snapshots of of modern life or American life. Um, just beautiful. It's kind of that linear Claire, kind of slightly uh, kind of French-Belgian look to the to the uh, illustration style and they're, they're just fantastic I love his stuff um, so it's nice to see uh, a whole bunch of his covers on Daniel's blog so danielgray.com have a look at his blog there's some fantastic stuff in there and he mentioned us this, this week as well which was lovely oh did he thank that's you that's not why I'm featuring him <laughs> yeah. uh, pies I have got a, and I, I think we might, I might be uh, deja vu here. Oh. oh, I just dropped it. Ralph is enjoying bits of that on the floor now. Uh, well, pies are quite similar this week, actually. Taste of taste the difference: steak and London <clears throat> porter short crust pie. I might have had this already, or you might have had this already. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've had it. It's a funny star-shaped pie. Oh. Uh, in the fact that, you know, like if you took a pie and then grabbed it and pushed your fingers into it, it's made a sort yeah. of flowery shape. Um, short crust looks pretty good. Strange vinegar taste to it, which I imagine is the, oh, the porter. The porter, yeah. Weird, in, weird flavoured interior. The pastry is great, though, I have to say. Yeah. But the um, the, the filling is, is strange. Um, I'll give that a five. Oh, a reasonable score. I have got... Uh, Marks and Spencer's steak and all peculiar ale pie. Oh right, so similar. It's, it's yeah, it's one of their gastro pub ones. Um, flaky pastry on top, really nice, succulent, lean steak. Um, very good pastry's delightful. That's a really good pie. There is literally nothing but steak in there. It hasn't been sullied with mushrooms or anything yeah. else. Um, that's really good. Right, get so. Uh, 7.4. Stop it. What's your pie like? Uh, your beer like? It's really good, actually. It's quite a rich bitter. So it's, uh, yes, yeah, full of flavour. Really good. I recommend that. The West Berkshire Brewery. Good old boy. How's the wine? Nice. Excellent. <laughs> well, um, that's it for today, isn't it? Or just uh, let's say thank you for the people of Guam for um, <coughs> sending us a little postcard from... Uh, the sunset beer drinking. How cool was that? Yeah. Looked, uh, I can't believe we've got listeners in it's Guam. Awful Guam, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. terrible. That sunset uh, so do, looked awful. Yeah. Get in touch if you're uh, if you're listening to the podcast on a on a beach somewhere. Or somewhere just uh, exotic or remote. Have we got any listeners uh, at the British Antarctic Survey on the Antarctic Peninsula, maybe? That'd be quite nice. Yeah, or uh, Dorset. Dorset, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, that'd be good. Uh, uh, but yeah, get in touch if you've got anything to say about this week's episode. If you've got any thoughts on something we could cover in a future episode, or if you just want to say hi. Yeah, or um, or if you think of uh, something that uh, you know freelance designers could do to uh, to contribute Make to the their community. Yeah. yeah, I know we've talked a load of old blether here, especially me. No. But uh, I, I uh, no, I really am looking for something uh, to do. Yeah. Well, it's been delight as always, John. Yeah, it's been good. And um, I'm sure I'll talk to you over the weekend. I feel like I've earned uh, my money today. When, when, <laughs> when do I get my money? Uh, later. <laughs> End the call. Um, yeah. All right, then. Well, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. When are you off on holiday? Yeah. Is it week after? Yes. Ah, right. So next week is the last one for a couple of weeks, at yeah, least. Unless I, unless I take the microphone with me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll think about that one. Yeah. Uh, you, right. go, go and have a break, mate. I will. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good talking to you. You too. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Awesome. Good night. Cheerio. Cheerio. <laughs>